yet, and I hope I've been able to maintain it throughout this. I've still been coughing quite a bit, but uh, seems to be getting better day by day. Uh, we left off in the book of Revelation, I think at the end of chapter 4, last time we had a new moon Bible study.
So, can you call that creation, or is it more transformation, or making something out of something, and being able to make it in such a way that it does what? That it brings you pleasure. So, he started that sequence by creating everything there is, having designed it, planned it, prepared everything that was necessary, and then brought it from nothing and made it into what we see throughout the universe. And that was for his pleasure. <laughs> then he gave us a limited mind to be able to take the things he has made and would you say make it better? Not necessarily better. I don't think there's anything much prettier than a tree. But something useful or better in terms of usage for you. And you do it with the same reasoning in mind. You are making it, transforming it, to bring you pleasure. So he's given us that limited ability to take something and change it around to make it pleasant for us or usable for us in various ways. And we learn as we build things with wood or with metal or with other uh, things that God has created, we learn to have pleasure from that. Now, let's look at it from the standpoint of God for a moment. He created everything he's created down here for his pleasure. Now that means that the universe, the things that are in it, the sun, the moon, the stars, uh, the earth itself, and all the things that he designed and uh, brought into being here on this beautiful planet that he's given us, it was for his pleasure. <clears throat> now how much pleasure does he derive from the things he's created. Is there a scale? Does he enjoy some things he's created more than other things which he created? Now you and I look at the things that he's created here, and some of them we marvel at, wonder at, and just dearly love. Other things he's created here we may appreciate to one degree or another, but they are as pleasurable to us as other things. So there's a degree of pleasure. And the reason I'm bringing this up is that I think you and I, as human beings, are the highest level of the creation that he made down here. He gave us more reasoning power, more mental power, more creative power, uh, all kinds of different ways that our minds work that are greater than any of the animals, and he made us in his image and wants us to become just like him in every way. So I think that built in to you and me as human beings, he has planned and programmed 
us to bring him the greatest pleasure of all. Now when Christ says he's going to marry the church, marry the bride, uh, what could bring him more pleasure than his bride? Of all the things that have been created, and he sorts through and chooses 144,000 out of the billions that have been here, what could bring him more pleasure than his wife? And I don't think that there's any argument that could made, be made against that premise. So he's created us to bring him the greatest pleasure of all the things he's made. They just made different things. I built houses, I built garages, I built fences, I built this and built that. But some things will bring you more pleasure because partly uh, they are more usable for more features, partially because you just desire them and like them more than other things you might devise and make for whatever purpose you make it. So he has designed us and put within us the greatest opportunity to give him the greatest pleasure of all. Now, consider this also. Of the things he did create down here, which has brought him the most sorrow, the most grief, the most frustration of all the things he's created. And I don't think that there's any question that uh, trees or deer or elk or trout or uh, kittens or anything like that has brought him much grief. But human beings have created an awful lot of grief for him to deal with, to ponder, and even to consider wiping us out, which he has done on one occasion in the days of Noah uh, with Israel. He considered it, and here at the end, it makes you wonder, since things are as in the days of Noah, <laughs> if the thought hasn't gone through his mind. But I don't think so in the same way that it was in the days of Noah. Because he does have now a list of people, some mentioned in Hebrews 11, who will be in his kingdom. That has already been decided. Uh, clearly names some who will be there in Hebrews 11. So those have now come to the point where he takes great pleasure in what they were when they lived, and in their death, says he takes pleasure in the death of his saints, because a saint is one who is following him. And when we die, if we are in good standing with him, he marks down one more that brought him a great deal of pleasure, and that he intends to receive an awful lot more pleasure from when they're resurrected, transformed, and made into spirit beings and created at a much higher level than any of us could ever achieve in this life. So the pleasure percentage is going to go way up with the first resurrection. 
and he will take pleasure that he has been unable to derive from us at this point. So, I think that lays upon us a responsibility, a challenge, and an opportunity that we bring him as much pleasure as is possible during this life. We were created to bring him pleasure. And he did say in another place that it is his pleasure to give us the kingdom. Nothing out of everything he's created down here to give him more pleasure than that. And especially the first resurrection with the bride will be the crowning glory of his creation. And everything after that will be wonderful, but not quite the same. So our desire is to be a part of that bride. I think we've been given that opportunity. And to, from henceforth, bring him pleasure. And hopefully, as this life goes by, day by day, we can endeavor to bring him more. And how do you do that? Well, you do it by overcoming and growing. Those are the ones that he says will be there in his kingdom, says all seven of the churches. That's what he looks for in us, is growth and overcoming, because we all have sins and faults and unworthiness of every kind and uncleanness. Uh, it's just the human state. But he said, by his spirit, we are to overcome, and then he will, with great pleasure, grant us his kingdom. We were created to bring him pleasure. So, I wanted to focus on that a little bit. We might get down on ourselves, we might get discouraged at times, but we need to remember the reason we were created. And that is to be a part of his kingdom, to be like him, and to bring him pleasure. Think about it from your standpoint. There are certain things you enjoy, certain things that bring you pleasure. Uh, hopefully they're always righteous and good things that bring us pleasure, because the pleasures of this life and the pleasures of sin uh, are there. Sin can be very, very much fun, can be a great deal of pleasure, can bring all kinds of uh, emotions that are enjoyable emotions, but the fruit in the long run creates problems. And doing the things that please God and that are according to his will and his law bring long-time satisfaction security, and pleasure. So we need to be sure the things that please us the most are the good things, not the bad things. But always to remember that he takes pleasure in the earth, in the universe, and especially then in us for which the earth was created. Work on that. Think about that. How is what I'm doing pleasing God? Is how I'm thinking, is what I'm doing bringing pleasure to Him? 
What are some of the things he tells us to do? He says to sing and rejoice before him. That brings pleasure. We're to work six days a week, and the things that our hand finds to do, we're to do well. And he is a creator and has created and made beautiful things for us. And if the work that we do pleases us and the limited creativity that we have, then that vicariously, in that sense, brings pleasure to him. Because we're being creative, we're being um, productive, we're using our minds to do things that help us have pleasure and bring pleasure to others. Loving our neighbors as ourselves, doing things for them, helping serve them, and, and bringing joy and pleasantness. So there are a lot of things we can go through the Bible and see when he tells us, do this, do that, do the other thing, that brings him pleasure. When he sees someone who is lazy, won't get off the bed and work, uh, that disappoints him. And he says their poverty will come as one that travels or one that never settles down and works. <laughs> so he is pleased when he sees creative production from people who are working and producing uh, for themselves and others those things which they themselves find pleasurable. So we're down here to be doing what he's doing. He's creating a universe and a world which he's coming back to rule that he intends to get an awful lot of pleasure out of it, out of. And we are to be at the top of the list of the things that please him. So he gives us a lot to think about right here when he says you've created it all and the reason for that is for your pleasure. I'm going to have to take it easy here. I'm barely getting going. My throat's already tightening up. Let's get into chapter 5 then. I'll try to ease off. And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the back side sealed with seven seals. So here's a book that is sealed. Can't be read. Don't know what the contents are. In other words, like buying a book from a store and it's still in the box. You don't know what's in it. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven or in earth, either under the earth, was able to look upon the book, or was able to open the book, be there to look thereof. And I wept much. And here's a book. It looks interesting. But nobody can open it. And one of the elders says to me, Weep not. I got an answer to the problem. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. Now the word prevailed there in uh, the Greek really means has overcome. And this obviously when it goes on down and speaks of the Lamb in verse 6 
is speaking of Christ himself, who overcame while he was here on the earth. He said, I've overcome the world there in his last uh, teaching session with the disciples. He overcame Satan in that fight. He overcame the world. And this book, with the seals, has to do with the earth. It has to do with the people of the earth. It has to do with their future. Uh, and he is the one who controls life and death and the future. So he overcame Satan's temptation and is the one who is qualified to do everything henceforth in this book. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, and of the four beasts, and the midst of the elders, you saw the description of the throne in chapter 4, and this could be no one other than the one in the middle of all that. In the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as it had been slain, and Christ was the lamb that was slain for us, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. So he has those seven spirits, seven angels there, who provide him the eyes to see all these things and to do things down here on the earth in his behalf. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne, and when he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of saints. <coughs> now, I would assume here, from the way it's written, that God the Father may have been the one holding the book, and this uh, elder, or this... standing there came and took the book out of the right hand of him and sat on the throne and probably handed it to Christ who was the one who could open it. Not sure that's exactly what happened but it may have been. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors which are the prayers of saints. Now, I can show you scriptures which indicate that the prayers of saints uh, are a sweet smell odor uh, to God. A sweet incense, if you will. So, what brings them pleasure? Here's another thing that does. The prayers of saints. The praise, the praise given to God the prayers for other saints, the prayers about ourselves. He likes to hear those things. Now, when we have little children, we just can't wait until they can start talking. We want to hear them. We want to hear the things they have to say to us. Uh, and then that becomes a mixed bag at some point where some of the things they say we want to hear and some of the things they say we just assume not hear. And then that goes on for years and years. 
But really, isn't it the same thing that God deals with? He loves us. He loves us dearly. We're created for His pleasure. He wants to take joy and happiness in us. And sometimes He can. And then sometimes uh, what we have to think or have to say uh, are quite up to par. But overall, He loves to hear the talking of his saints to him. A prayer is just a talk with God. And he loves us. So that's something you can do to bring God pleasure, is to pray according to the way David prayed, the way Moses prayed, the way Christ uh, instructed us as a basic uh, format or menu for prayer. And that brings God pleasure. And it brings Him pleasure in us. So, the prayers of saints go up. And they sung a new song saying, You are worthy to take the book, to open the seals thereof, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God. He's the Redeemer. By your blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. So Christ tells us to pray to the Father. And when he says he had redeemed us to God or to the Father, it was his blood that brought that redemption and allowed us to have access to the Father. Mankind had not had that access until the temple uh, the curtain of the temple was uh, ripped in twain at the time when he died and redeemed us from death by his own blood. So now we have direct access to the Father, not just to him who was the God of the Old Testament, but to the Father himself. And our prayers would be directed to the Father in the name of Jesus Christ, or Emmanuel, uh, or the Redeemer, or many of the different names or uh, offices that he holds, we can use those as well, our Deliverer. But he is our access to the Father in Heaven. And that was opened up, of course, at the time he redeemed us with his blood. Now, we have a wonderful access that no one really had until uh, this modern era after his death and resurrection and has made us unto our God kings and priests and we shall reign on the earth now this is an interesting build up these seals when they are open are going to be some pretty terrible things I doubt we'll get through it tonight because my voice isn't going to last that long. But there's some pretty terrible things that are sealed there that are going to be loose. So I think it's very interesting how he gives a prelude to opening those about him, his relationship to us, and what these seals are going to lead to. Now, they're going to cause an awful lot of suffering and heartache and grief and death. The seals, the trumpets, 
the last plagues, it just gets worse and worse and worse. But he prefaces that by showing that we're here to please him, and especially the saints. Their prayers, the new song they're going to sing, are going to bring him such great pleasure, and even our prayers in the meantime bring him that, and encourage him then to finish the plan, because the earth is in such condition that it isn't worth saving unless there are some incredible changes made. Uh, an eternity of a world like today's world, how would you like to look forward to that? It's getting worse day by day by day. And there's nothing much here at this moment to take pleasure in. So opening these seals is really the beginning of the destruction that is going to cause most people on earth to physically die. And within that will come repentance when they come back up. It will cause some repentance among those who don't die in this holocaust that is about to come. They'll be ready to be taught, they'll be ready to change, so that they truly become pleasurable to God. What do we do here on this earth? We lie to each other, we steal from each other, we have such vanity and ego that we offend each other. The earth is basically not really that happy a place. And God would not want it to continue this way. So he's got to bind Satan, put him away, kill most everybody, and start over. And then give those who have been killed an opportunity in the second resurrection to repent and overcome and grow and live his way. So that this earth can be a pleasurable place to be. And this is what it's going to take to do that. So he's giving us a glimpse of ourselves, of the opportunity that is just ahead of us, and only to 144,000 first fruits. That's it. That's the bride. That's the beginning of the creation of eternal sovereignty of God over all beings who are either still alive or not in captivity such as Satan and the demons will be. And he lets us know that he has made us until our God kings and priests and we shall reign on the earth. This is a pretty encouraging chapter here, showing how it's all going to come out and how, all right now, get ready, I'm going to open these fields, but understand that I'm going to take care of you. The beast won't, the false prophet won't, uh, the powers of this world and Satan won't, but God will. And that's why he says, don't fear the conspiracy, fear me. We are not supposed to have any fear of this conspiracy that is being loosed on the earth right now. Uh, Sometimes we tend, I think, to be a little fearful. We get to looking at what's going on, and it's scary stuff. <laughs> but he says, don't fear it. And he means that. Uh, fearful 
is not a godly attribute. Faith and trust in God clearly is. But fearing the world is not. That's something we are not supposed to do. Uh, maybe we read too much of it sometimes and listen to too much of it sometimes and we become fearful because it's scary stuff. But it doesn't help our faith. Uh, our faith and trust is in God and he's told us we'll reign on the earth. So all we have to do is do what we're supposed to do obey him, serve him, bring pleasure to him, and we got it made. We don't have anything to worry about. So, that's what he's emphasizing here before he starts opening these seals. To let us know that if we're among his saints, we're going to sing the new song, we're going to bring, bring him pleasure, he's redeemed us from the world, therefore the world cannot touch us, and we're going to reign with him. What an encouraging thing to do. And I beheld, and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the beasts and the elders, and the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousand, and thousands of thousands. That's a hundred million plus. We don't see them, but they're there. That's a lot of power. Saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. All wonderful things. He is worthy of them all. Because he has done such incredible creation and then he gave his life to save that creation from itself. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him that sits upon the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Now that animates in a way the fish, the animals, everything was created by him with his design to bring him pleasure. And if they are reacting by the instinct that he put in them, doing the things that he made them to do, you know, beavers do the thing beavers do, and uh, lambs do the thing lambs do, they're all different. But they all do as he created them to do. And they do it without question. They do it because they're programmed that way. And everything works in their lives according to the way they were designed. They don't have test building school for little birds. They just automatically know how to build nests. And that's the way that it is. So in one sense, you could say, I think, there is a limited worship of God in that they are carefully following everything that he requires of them. They're just doing the things they were made to do. And the only thing, other than Satan and his demons who rebelled, 
that don't do that by nature is man. Man's nature is evil, deceitful, and upside down and backwards. And by nature, virtually everything we do is contrary to God and does not bring him pleasure. So he's saying here, I'm going to upgrade you. You're going to be above the other creatures, and you're going to turn and worship me by everything you do. You were created to do good, and you aren't. The birds were created to do good things, and they do. So you're the only problem in the universe, really, <laughs> other than Satan and his demons themselves, who are going to be put away. That he's going to cause us to worship him and give him great honor and glory, as the rest of the creation does. I, I think it's kind of a, um, what's the word I'm looking for here? It's like it talks about how the creation groans for the things of God. Uh, the birds, the beasts, have been put in a position now where the air they breathe is not good, the grass they eat is not as good as it used to be, the waters, the air, the land, everything is polluted and getting worse day by day. And the animals have diseases they didn't used to have, just as people do. So, <laughs> the whole earth, the whole creation groans because of the things that Satan and man have done to this earth. And they want deliverance. They don't understand that. When things don't go well and they get sick from bad foods that they're feeding them, uh, they groan within. And the whole earth is groaning right now. So, he's going to change it where everything is secure and helpful and good proper and right from the very lowest parts of his creation to the very highest. So the whole earth is going to quit groaning and respond to God, if you will. So he deserves blessing and honor and glory and power uh, as he sits upon the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever, the Father and the Son. And the four, the four beasts said, Amen. This is what they want to see. This is what they look forward to. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that lives forever and ever. So I think that's a good introduction before these seals are opened, that we might look forward with hope, with faith, with confidence, and security of mind that all these things are going to take place. Now when he opens these seals, as I said, there are going to be some mighty, horrible, terrible things that happen. But we need not be concerned about it, fearful of it. We're doing what we should be doing. He says he will deliver us from it. But it's going to fall upon the whole earth. So he's laid it all out for us here, given us encouragement, and then in chapter 6 he starts turning it loose. We'll get to that next time. So 
Thank you for being there. Thank you for being faithful. Thank you for the love you show one to another and to our Father and our, His Son in heaven. And thankful for a new month that we might serve Him in this ninth month that has just begun. So thank you and good night.